As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. If you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, now's the time with our best offer ever. Sign up today and you'll pay just £1 a month for the next six months, giving you unrivaled insight and analysis of everything Euro 2020 and taking you well into the new Premier League season two. The Athletic is the only place you can read pieces by award-winning writers like Michael Cox, Rafa Honigstein, Amy Lawrence and Daniel Taylor. And when you subscribe, you'll also get ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts from across its audio network. Head to theathletic.com slash totally and become a subscriber today for six quid until the end of the year. That's theathletic.com slash totally. Good afternoon, passengers. This is a pre-boarding announcement for flight 89. Please have your boarding pass and identification ready. Baku, Sevilla, Amsterdam, Glasgow, München, Sankt Petersburg, Bukarest, Budapest, Copenhagen, Roma, London. Totally Football Show at the Euros Super Saturday. Turns out you actually can't write off the Germans. There's the biggest shock of the tournament so far as Alvaro Morata scores. Meanwhile, French flop as Attila the Hungarian plunders a point. Plus, Sunday's action. Group A reaches its conclusion with entertainers Italy and Wales going head-to-head. Also Turkey v Switzerland. This is the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello again, listener. I hope you're well. It's me, Matt, here alongside Tom Williams. Evening, Tom. Evening, Matt. Morning, listeners. Yeah, quite. Yeah, it's hard to do both, isn't it? Because we we're we're sort of in two different um, two different dimensions. One of the many mysteries of the Totally Pod. Yeah, we're in Pod World, which is its, its very own dimension. Uh, Lindsay Hooper is also with us. How are you doing, Lindsay? I'm very good. I think it's safe then to say hello. <laughs> uh, Lindsay, you've been spending time at fan zones and football villages in London. Do COVID restrictions mean that you've been kept a safe distance from lobster pink drunk folk in Stone Island Clubber? <laughs> yeah, I've actually come across them more on my way to the football village or on my way to the fan zone in Trafalgar Square. As per yesterday, I was greeted in Leicester Square on the way through by thousands of of Scotland fans. But actually inside, it was all very respectable because the first two England games at Trafalgar Square were reserved for key workers. So it was very much socially distanced. You could get table service. I mean, the only thing really that was missing from the experience was the sunshine because it just rained and rained during that second half. We all got soaked. But um, otherwise, it would have been very, very respectable. Excellent. Well, after a couple of dodgy days, Saturday saw Euro 2020 really ignite some great games. We'll discuss them on the other side of this. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Kimmich. Kimmich und Gosens! 4 zu 1! Der macht das Länderspiel seines Lebens! Robin Gosens! Group F always looked like fun and lo and behold we go into the final round of games with all four teams in contention for qualification for the last 16. Portugal 2, Germany 4 in Munich is where we'll start. Yogi Love's farewell tour might not be a misery march after all. His team disposing of the reigning champs. They came from behind to do so. Portugal scored two own goals. 
Lots to like here, basically. Tom, game of the tournament so far? Yes, definitely. Absolutely terrific game. Um, Portugal going ahead with that fantastic counter-attacking goal. Ronaldo heading the corner clear and then galloping downfield and and knocking in uh, the pass from Diogo Jota. Um, And I think given uh, how... You know, Portugal had had ultimately overpowered Hungary. I think the expectation at that point was that they would then just sort of take a grip on the game, and they didn't. Germany just blew them out of the water. And I think what we saw with Germany was that they're finally getting to grips with this system, with the wing-backs and the wide forwards. And I felt in their opening game against France, I felt like they, they played within themselves in the first half, didn't really exploit that system in the way that it can be exploited by doubling up on the flanks with the wing-backs and the wide forwards. They did that a little bit in the second half against France and then they did that repeatedly against Portugal. I mean, every goal came from a cross. I think two or three of the goals came from crosses that were then put back into the box. So they were sending Portugal this way and that. Um, And yeah, really impressive. First rule of international football, never write off the Germans. Uh, And I think... Quite a few of us were, were probably guilty of, if not writing them off fully, then then perhaps thinking about writing them off. And uh, uh, today's game showed the folly of that sort of thinking. And, and not just the catch-all term of the Germans, Lindsay, but but Joachim Love in particular. You know, we had Raf Onigstein on yesterday pleading with him to change the formation, change the personnel. He didn't do that, but but the team managed to win anyway. And as Tom says, the response from going a goal behind, given what had happened in their first game, really impressive. Yeah, and I think it was that response. That was the moment, wasn't it, that they were tested? Because for the first 15 minutes, they were very much out the traps, taking it to Portugal and going on the offensive. And I did think when Portugal scored on that counter-attack, and it was against the run of play, whether that would then dent their confidence and then they'd sit a bit deeper and revert to the sort of game that they played just before. So... I actually thought that was where they stood up and and they answered and wow, you know, this is what happens when you play more offensively, isn't it? You know, this is what we'd love to say to England. I thought there was a different tempo to this Germany team. And I like the fact that they were constantly looking to go forward and to, to just ask questions because then Portugal get preoccupied by that. And I actually thought that the battle here was won in midfield. I think Germany definitely overpowered Portugal's midfielders. So I, th- I think that was one of the key elements to, to them winning this game. And actually, the way that the group has been scheduled works out quite well for Germany, I think, Tom, because they got the hardest game out of the way first. And, and theoretically, they should have the easiest game last. Theoretically, but I think what the first two rounds of matches have shown us is that for the big teams, in some ways, paradoxically, it's easier to play the sort of football they want to play against the teams who they expect to be their rivals because they're offered a bit more space. And when teams come up against sides who who defend deep, that's when they struggle. You know, we saw that. I know we're going to go on to talk about France uh, in more detail, but France were able to punish Germany repeatedly on the counter-attack because Germany kept flying forward because they're a big team and there's an expectation that they should play that way whereas against Hungary you know France struggled because they sat deep you could make a similar comparison with England and I think something we we often see with England in major tournaments is that they absolutely stink the place out in the group phase and you think why are they struggling against these inferior teams and it's because it's very difficult to break down teams who just you know, pretty much put everyone behind the ball and deny you any space. And that's often why we we have to wait uh, until the, the knockout phase to see the best of some of these elite teams because they're finally able to sort of stretch their legs a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, I think Germany are in a good position. I think the way that they, they played uh, against Portugal will give them a huge amount of confidence um, and will go a long way towards... You know, perhaps silencing some of the doubts about Yogi Love and about this particular system. Um, but yeah, given the way Hungary have defended in their two matches, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought they'll, um, they'll roll over too easily. Earlier, I caught up with David Novo from Diaro Record for the Portuguese perspective. Here's what he had to say. David, it started so well, but then came a spectacular collapse. What, what went wrong in, in this match for Portugal, in your opinion? Well. It's hard to explain. In, in fact, we started um, winning with this uh, counter-attack that uh, was uh, perfect with uh, Bernardo, uh, Jota and, and, and the goal of Ronaldo, of course. 
but um, Germany was too strong for us. We had a lot of uh, problems, especially at the wings, uh, right back. The, um, Nelson Smith, of course, it's not only his fault, because uh, also with Bernardo Silva had to to defend and to help him to cover that space, and they were too strong and too difficult to stop. Um, and of course, difficult for us because uh, Portugal, with the one win, will be in the next phase, and now. Uh, to go to the last match, still have to do a mathematic with a team like France. I think it's the, the worst scenario that uh, Portugal could have, but uh, it, it's what it is. Let's see. But um, I believe that France is stronger than this Germany. Uh, so I, I hope that Portugal can turn this around and try to give a good answer against France. You say you hope, but but how confident actually are you that that Portugal will make it through to the to the last sixteen now? Of course, the, in the last scenario, you can have the third place and to be one of the best third places um, in the, all the groups. It was um, in that situation that Portugal went through in the five years ago. Of course, things are different. It's a different competition, a different championship, and other teams. But, um, of course, to be first or second would be uh, great. But um, to finish uh, third, uh, of course, this, this draw with France and Hungary turned things a little bit strange uh, in the group. But um, Portugal has the, 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 <laughs> the hardest mission to, to, uh, to stop this, uh, this team of, of uh, the French team. Uh, it happened today but I don't know if it's going to be it's going to happen again um, so of course I'm not that optimistic I think it's hard to be optimistic after a defeat like this with um, a few days to recover and to play against France that still needs to win and still needs to, to get points to go, go ahead it's going to be really really hard for us David Novo there uh, Lindsay, Nelson Tomato of your Wolves. He had a bit of a torrid time here. I've seen him have a torrid time before, actually. Uh, <laughs> it will not surprise you. He did. He needs more discipline, I think, uh, Tomato in his game. And, and he really didn't show it in this performance. Um, he can't handle pace at all. Uh, he panics a little bit as well. And I, I feel like he's a beat ahead when he tries to go in for a challenge. Like He should just wait that beat more to make that decision. But yeah, he's a bit hot-headed. I think Samedo did have a bit of a shocker, but to perhaps uh, come to his defence slightly, I, I think he could have done with a lot more uh, support from Portugal's midfield. I think particularly in the second half, you looked at the third and fourth Germany goals. And I think in the first one, it's Sanchez who doesn't get out to try and block the cross from Robin Gosens. And the fourth goal, Rafa Silva, uh, another substitute along with Sanchez, basically just allows Gerzens to wander past him into the six-yard box and get a header in. And I think that was a feature of, of Portugal's play throughout the throughout the game, was that in the first half, when Germany started to get on top of them, Germany were finding it too easy to isolate uh, Portugal's fullbacks. And then in the second half, even with fresh legs on the pitch, in, in you know, Sanchez and, and Rafa Silva, there still wasn't enough awareness of the danger that those those German wing-backs could, could provide. Didier Deschamps is going to definitely target him, though, isn't he? I mean, that is that is the big weakness, I think, down that flank. Yeah, well, it'll be Mbappe against Semedo. I mean, the one thing Semedo has is... <laughs> I don't pace. know why I find that funny. I find that a funny <laughs> prospect. Mbappe against Semedo. Because it's not PSGV Wolves. I think that's probably where you find it funny. <laughs> Uh, Portugal then becoming the first team ever to score two own goals in the same game in the European Championships. This is also the highest number of own goals ever scored at a Euros. We're not even through the group stage and we're up to five. What next for Portugal, Tom? They got lucky against Hungary. They got schools here and, and France, given, given what happened to them earlier in the day, they're not likely to make wholesale changes. Even if they did, it wouldn't be a weak French team. They're in a bit of trouble, aren't they, Portugal? Yeah, I mean, the, the format works in their favour. If we you know, re recall Euro 2016 when they ended up winning it, uh, they got out of the group stage without winning a game. Um, so three points 
could prove to be enough again this time. But yeah, that they they do look uh, in danger, and it just feels like Fernando Santos hasn't found the right formula. Uh, he kept faith with the same team that he'd picked um, for the Hungary game, um, and you know, in that Hungary game, Portugal had had huffed and puffed for the vast majority of the match, and then finally managed to break Hungary down right at the end of the game uh, with their substitutes playing a really big role. And I, I thought that that might be a sign that he might try to change things. And he didn't. Ends up making the same substitutions pretty much. He brings on Renato Santos again. He brings on Rafa Silva again. But by that stage, it's, it's too late for them to affect the game. And I think you just look at Portugal. They've been playing with that double pivot in midfield of, of Danilo Pereira and William Cavalho. Two very similar players, very defensive players who don't really offer anything, you know, in an attacking sense. And it's just left to the front four of Bruno Fernandes, Bernardo Silva, Diogo Jota and Cristiano Ronaldo to to do everything in, in the final third. And I'm not sure there's a, there's a great deal of natural complementarity between those those four players. The good news from a Portugal perspective is they've got fantastic alternatives. I think Renato Sanchez needs to be starting games. Um, you've got João Felix, who, you know, I'm not sure he's even played at all yet. So the, it, it is possible for him to mix things up. And I, I'd be very surprised if he, he picked the same starting 11 for a third game running. Well, earlier on Saturday, surely the biggest shock of the tournament thus far, it came in Budapest where Hungary held the world champions France to a one-all draw. Attila Fiola put Hungary ahead in the first half. Antoine Griezmann levelled midway through the second. Despite having 15 attempts at goal in the match, France couldn't score again. Um, Lindsay, does this make us England folk feel better about what happened at Wembley on Friday? It's just match day two-itis, maybe. Mm, possibly. I, I think the thing with the England performance compared to France is England didn't change anything at all. I, I felt that it was a very similar performance to the one against Croatia, uh, the one against Scotland. Um, but just it was somewhere in the middle. You know, we had elation for, from, you know, bigging up Calvin Phillips and, diff- and Sterling and different performers when actually I don't think maybe they did perform quite to that level. And then and then we overreacted the other way um, against Scotland. And I think with France as well, I felt like they were a little bit unfortunate on, on a few occasions not to make that breakthrough because I thought movement was really good. Um, I didn't ever feel like they ran out completely of ideas. I just felt that Hungary were much better in transition. And I just thought that they generally were just much braver than they had been in their previous performance. Um, and you could just tell that they were just putting everything on the line. It, it it was sort of a similar situation because Scotland had done that with England, you know, just absolutely gone for it and put everything they had into it. And Hungary did that against France, knowing they were the world champions and the ones that were probably going to try and tear them to shreds, which they did, but just could not get any joy. Um, I wonder if there's a little bit of... Um, too many options when it comes to Deschamps for for attack because Griezmann obviously got a goal but Mbappe's not quite hit the the mark that we thought he would in this tournament yet and I'm trying to put my finger on why that is. Yeah I I, I agree with most of what what Lindsay said I mean I I think there are a lot of mitigating factors for France Um, I mean you know, Hungary have home advantage. Uh, it was a very hot day. Uh, you know, the France players afterwards were talking about how, you know, what hard work it was. Hungary put in a real shift um, and France created a lot of chances in that first half. And had they taken any of them, the shape of the game would have changed completely and they probably would have ended up, you know, running out quite comfortable winners. I think Mbappe had a very good first half um, and then set, sets up the goal for France in the second half. Uh, perhaps not exactly firing on all cylinders, but I thought some of what he, he did was really exceptional. Um, and yeah, it felt like fine margins for France in that first half. You think about some of the the moves they put together. There was that one Antoine Griezmann plays a ball over the top for Mbappe who runs through, takes a touch, flicks it into Benzema's path. And you're thinking, right, this is the moment we've been waiting for. France's front three are finally linking up. Benzema's going to score the first goal since his recall and he sort of shins it wide. Um, and there were a few others and Mbappe puts a header wide, creates a chance for himself, drags it wide. And they, they didn't feel all that far away. Um, and then Hungary scored with one of their first chances. Benjamin Pavar, who I thought had a really poor game. And of course, you know, we'll recall that there was that um, controversy about him staying on the pitch in the game against Germany after basically being knocked out. And he, I mean, you know, uh, we can't say how much of a connection there is, but he just didn't look at it at all. 
you know, Hungary go in one nil up at, at half time. You know, the fans uh, are all uh, having an absolutely great time, and you you did sort of worry for France at that point. You know, whether this was going to be one of those days. The fact they managed to get that equaliser meant that it it wasn't too bad. Didier Deschamps afterwards said that he was satisfied, um, and I think France have you know the recent experience from the last World Cup of having taken a long time to get going you think back to you know how France performed in the group phase in 2018 really poor against Australia in their opener 1-0 against Peru in their second match really laboured performance and then a dead rubber against Denmark that ends 0-0 you know they emerged from the group phase looking anything like would-be world champions but this is the sort of bottom line when it comes to tournament football it doesn't really matter what happens in the group phase as long as you get through it. And I think this is, this is again, to just draw the comparison with England, England don't have that experience of having been really poor in a group phase and then gone on and won the tournament. So you do tend to zero in on those bad performances as evidence that there's something fatally wrong with the team. But actually, in the recent history of, of um, you know, major tournament football, it's very rare for a team to hit their straps from day one and just blow everyone away. An awful lot of the, the greatest teams that we've ever seen on the international stage have taken their time to, to grow into tournaments. So I think from a France perspective, yeah, they'll be disappointed not to have won, but they're still in a good position. And, you know, once they're, once they're out of the group, that's when they'll be looking to, you know, to really move through the gears. And it's interesting you mentioned that actually, Tom, because one of the observations I've made is with... The so-called smaller nations that are in this, the way that Hungary really pulled together. I mean, Klein Heisler was was such a, a phenomenal player in this game, um, and he led by example. and And I actually think that some of these smaller sides, if we're going to say they are perceived to be that, um, they do have that team togetherness sooner in major tournaments than the supposed favourites and bigger teams and I honestly think that comes back to friendlies and the way that if you're a bigger if you've got more talent at your disposal then you tend to tinker more and you try different formations you try different systems and then you never really persist with with one starting 11 for very long the only time you get to get that run together is if you go further in to the latter stages of a major tournament I mean England are a case in point with that you know look at what Gareth Southgate did in the friendlies running up to this these players look sometimes look like they're strangers and I think the attack here for France hasn't quite linked up like it could I mean it looks like they're, they're going to create loads but there's there's just that one element that's sort of missing at the minute in terms and I felt like the, the same with Portugal as you po- pointed out with with Ronaldo and Jota and and I just feel like there's something not quite clicking with some of the bigger teams, but it probably will come. Uh, finally, on France, Tom, what disappointed you more? Benjamin Pavard's performance, Hugo Lloris's attempts to save the goal or the BBC cartoon of N'Golo Conte? Uh, without doubt, the BBC cartoon of N'Golo Conte. <laughs> I mean, in in the defence of the illustrator who the BBC have employed to to do these caricatures, most of them are absolutely sensational uh, and look like very accurate renderings of the players they're supposed to represent. But for some reason, Nicola Conte looks like he's about 70. Uh, And it it really leapt out at me when I saw the graphics come up on screen beforehand. Um, I think in terms of France's performance, the biggest disappointment, apart from Pavard having a bit of a shocker, uh, will probably be the fact that Karim Benzema is still waiting for that first goal since his recall. And... You know, in the knowledge that you've got Olivier Giroud, France's uh, second highest all-time goal scorer, waiting on the bench. So I think, I mean, it could be the case that, you know, Deschamps mixes things up for the third group game. But if Benzema goes through that and doesn't score uh, and, and, and doesn't look like he's getting closer to scoring, then you wonder whether people are going to start calling for Giroud to be back in the team. Well done to Hungary. We should say their their celebrations at full time are good to see. It's going to be interesting to see how they get on away from home as they will be in their final game against Germany. Uh, As much as we've enjoyed the full stadium and and subsequent atmosphere, it should be mentioned that the neo-Nazi Carpathian Brigade brought an anti-kneeling banner into the ground today. UEFA already investigating homophobic banners and chanting in their game against Portugal. Uh, There was one other game played on Saturday. We'll look at that next. The Euros are here, and we'd better make the most of them, because they only come around every four, uh, five years. So if your bookie isn't making you feel special, then maybe it's time to find a new one. 
Yep, not so much carpe diem as carpa diem. Hmm, if the grass is greener on the other side, come and play on it. If your bookie's not giving you the best rewards, switch, and you'll get a completely free £5 bet builder on the Czech Republic versus England this Tuesday. Paddy Power! Free match bet builder bets, only max one free bet, min two plus legs, online exclusive, must have previously deposited T's and C's apply, 80 plus, be gambleaware.org. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. No me lo puedo creer. No me lo puedo creer. Qué barbaridad, por Dios. No me lo puedo creer. So the final game on Saturday saw Spain and Poland draw 1-0 in Seville. Alvaro Morata put Spain ahead. Gerard Moreno missed a penalty shortly after Robert Lewandowski had equalised. Our man in the know, re-Spain, is Alvaro Romeo, and he joins us now. Um, Alvaro, it's all a bit predictable, isn't it, from Spain? It is predictable. I cannot say that I am surprised with what I've seen. Uh, basically, today we have been, well, we have seen the same problems replicated, the same problems that we saw against Sweden and the same problems that Spain had in the World Cup qualifiers back in March. Spain is a team that uh, doesn't move the ball fast, they are not dominant in the boxes, and uh, any little mishap looks catastrophic to Spain many times. Uh, for example, uh, missing a penalty just put the team down and the team's mentality down for the remainder of the game. Uh, any minor cross into the box uh, uh, ends up being a goal from the opponent. Then uh, we are not capable of scoring the many chances we have. It's been the same story, I would say, for the last couple of years in the Spanish camp. And uh, to be honest, I think that Spain still has a chance of qualifying. They just have to beat Slovakia. It's not going to be easy on the basis of what we have seen so far. But uh, when they qualify to the, for the next round, as soon as they find the tough opponent, I think that they are going to suffer a lot. One positive was Alvaro Morata. Luis Enrique was right. He, he scored the goal. He's on fire. He might end up with a golden boot at this rate. Yes, I know, and uh, he's a man who's got a good scoring radio with the Spanish national team, but the truth is that when it comes to the, to the big moments, Alvaro Morata doesn't score all the chances he has, and this makes him a little bit uh, desperating in the eyes of the Spanish uh, supporters. I mean, after the game, uh, the, a journalist asked Alvaro Morata what does he think about the crowd and the supporters, and basically he said that people can say whatever they want about him, because having an opinion is free, but you can tell that Alvaro Morata is a bit angry and a bit anxious, because he hasn't been scoring until today, and uh, I think that it was very telling the fact that uh, Luis Enrique and Álvaro Morata hack after Álvaro Morata scored because before the game they asked Luis Enrique, is Álvaro Morata going to play because he's not playing well? And Luis Enrique said, well, Morata is going to play with alongside 10 more players, meaning that he got the full support from the manager. But yes, I think that Álvaro uh, Morata has been good news for Spain. I think that he fought a lot, he had uh, a chance and he scored it almost in offside. Uh, but generally speaking, uh, he was a little bit alone up front. Uh, Gerard Moreno, he played, the inclusion of Gerard Moreno was good, he gave the assist for Álvaro Morata. But at the end, you have the feeling that if Morata or Gerard Moreno don't score, no one else can uh, go with them and score a goal, which makes Spain a flat team because uh, all the goals are coming from the same sources, always. Are Spain suffering, Alvaro, from the anti-home advantage? And what I mean by that is, you know, Italy are really benefiting from playing at home. We spoke about Hungary earlier that had a full stadium. They've benefited. England should be benefiting from playing at Wembley. But, you know, Seville, their, their 
pitch isn't really to Spain's taking, is it really? They should have this home advantage, but the sort of football they play isn't really suiting them. Uh, I think so, yeah. Uh, in fact, after the game against uh, against Poland, Rodri has said that the, the pitch is not in the perfect conditions. And uh, we have to explain the audience that Spain was supposed to play in Bilbao, uh, which is the best ground in Spain, San Mamés, altogether with Wanda Metropolitano, Atletico Madrid ground. But for COVID reasons, UEFA moved uh, Spain from Bilbao to Sevilla. And instead of playing at Sanchez Pizjuán, or Benito Villamarín, the grounds of Sevilla and Betis, the Spanish FA went to the municipal ground of Sevilla, which has, uh, number one, an athletics track, and number two, is not the best ground in the city. I think that every country is showing the best ground they have. The Johan Cruyff Arena, Wembley, uh, then the, the Olympic in Rome. Well, they are showing great grounds. But Spain, I think that is playing in a, in a place that is a proper downer. And uh, yeah, I think that this is affecting the players' mentality as well. And also, the temperatures in Seville have been really, really, really high lately. Yeah. And the, the pitch is not in good condition. So if Spain wants to move the ball fast and all that, it's very difficult to do it under this circumstances and I think that yeah um, there is a bad mentality uh, the supporters uh, don't particularly know some players that are playing for the Spanish national team strange as it sounds Ferran Torres Dani Olmo Rodri they are going to spend the best years of their careers abroad so some Spanish supporters don't know them very well as well so I think that there is not this uh, huge, uh, big spirit about the Spanish national team about, uh, in the crowd at the minute. And I think that all this is playing a part. And it's not uh, a surprise either that Spain has missed today their fourth penalty in a row. I think that, uh, you know, if they were playing in a more or in front of a more positive atmosphere, probably this penalty that Gerard Moreno has missed today uh, would have gone in. Alvaro, a, a Premier League-centric question to finish Thiago got off the bench in the second half in the first game. We yet to see Adama Traore or Cesar Azpilicueta who's just captained the team to the Champions League. Any chance that, that any of those players will, will see some action in the game against Slovakia? Are there any other changes that you would make if you were in Luis Enrique's massive combat trousers? Well, I think that the, one of the changes that we're going to see probably is Busquets playing instead of Rodri. I think that this is uh, very likely to happen. But then Luis Enrique is not a major or a big friend of revolutions. I don't think that he's going to make a big changes uh, for the game against Slovakia. I think that he will probably keep the same structure. Uh, at Piliqueta, well, I doubt it because Marcos Llorente is playing really well and he's offering a lot of uh, width. Uh, and he's offering a lot of verticality. I don't know if Apilicueta can offer so much. I think so, but uh, Marcos Llorente has had a terrific season this year and Luis Enrique seems to favour him. And uh, yeah, I'm not expecting many changes. I'm expecting pretty much the same. Like uh, Spain nullifying the, the opponent, uh, but nullifying the opponent in a farcical way. Because it looks like uh, Poland, for example, in the first half, it looked like they, they weren't playing the game because Spain was having the ball all the time, which doesn't let you analyze if Poland is having a good day or not. Because Spain's style basically nullifies the opponent to the point that you don't know if they are having a good day or a bad day or if they are tired or if they, if they are not. Well, Poland today didn't play much in the first half, but then in the second half they showed that they were up for the challenge. So I am expecting Spain like this in the third game. Spain with the possession of the ball, toothless up front and probably suffering to score a couple of them against Slovakia and going through. Tom, Paolo Sosa's clobber, uh, that's a booking, right? Cream chinos with a waistcoat? Not for me. Yeah, wasn't a massive fan of the uh, waistcoat chinos combo. Um, but we did see some quite uh, unusual clothing choices on the touchlines today. I'm not sure whether anyone spotted that uh, Joachim Love was wearing a shirt and what looked like tracksuit bottoms... Um, which I thought was unusual. I didn't notice this, Tom, and the reason being is that whenever it, it pans to a shot of Joachim Love, I'm always looking oh to God, see if I he's know what you're going to say. Fingers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can't even <laughs> so, look. <laughs> so, so I wasn't paying much attention to his clothes. But, you know, I actually disagree about Paolo Sosa. I thought that he wore the waistcoat better. In fact, I felt like in this match, Poland had a popper England with their bragging rights in a couple of ways. And I think one of them was that that, that Sousa wore a waistcoat better than Southgate. I think he did. Um, you two obviously don't agree. And, and the fact that... Then, the waistcoat you know, was fine. The, it's the trousers. The trousers were the problem. 
I thought, yeah, the waistcoat, I thought he rocked. The trousers, I, I understand a bit more. Um, Kasper Kozlowski also then took Jude Bellingham's record, didn't he? That was set only six days ago for being the youngest ever player at the Euro. So 17 years, 246 days he is. It was just those little things that I was picking up on towards us. Well, I tell you what, Jude Bellingham has made so many people feel old in his short career that if Kasper <laughs> Kozlovsky has made him feel a little bit old, well, you know, he, he's had it coming. Uh, well done to Robert Lewandowski, becomes the first Polish player to score at three different European championships. Uh, they're still just about in it. Uh, that was Saturday then, plenty to be sorted on Sunday too. We'll look ahead to the conclusion of Group A next. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman, host of The England Show, brought to you daily throughout Euro 2020. I'll be joined by writers from The Athletic and special guests to bring you unrivaled coverage dedicated to the England team this summer. So for expert insight into Southgate squad and post-game reaction to all the games, search for The England Show wherever you get your podcasts or via The Athletic app. We're sponsored for this episode of the Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with Matt Davis-Adams. Uh, now then, Lindsay, you've been pulling double duty over the last couple of weeks. You've also been on The England Show, available from The Athletic. But in addition to that, The Seaman Says podcast with David Seaman. If you haven't heard the pod yet, you may have heard Adam Hurry talking about it on Football Clichés. Uh, Lindsay, you're obviously doing something right. As Adam worked out, David Seaman laughs every 23 <laughs> seconds. They're not just laughs either. There's, there's chuckles, there's guffaws, there's chortles, there's howls, there's cackles too. Uh, it sounds like good fun. It is. It's lovely, actually, to be around someone so positive. I think he could cheer up anybody's day. It's infectious, you know. I cannot listen to, the, to him laughing without having to join in. Um, or respond. I think it's involuntary, actually, that reaction. But um, but yeah, he's he's such a lovely, lovely man. So many good stories, so many good connections. Really enjoying doing the show. Um, we had Tony Adams on um, last week and Stuart Pearce on, on the one just to preview Scotland game. Um, so yeah, it's been really good fun to do. Excellent. Uh, Euro 2020-wise, just the two games on Sunday, both at five o'clock, so no late-night drama. Uh, Group A's seen two teams provide us with plenty of thrills and spills, and it's also featured Turkey and Switzerland. Uh, it's the entertainers who will focus on first. Wales saying bye-bye to Baku, rocking up in Rome. Tom, a point will see your boys through as runners-up. That would put Italy through as group winners. Is this going to be the uh, the carve-up then, the old biscotti, as Jimbo would call it, if he was here? The, the cook twice, I'm sure, I'm sure you know this, you wrote the book on it. Uh, oh, thanks. Um, yeah, I mean, a draw would suit both teams in that uh, Italy would be assured of top spots and Wales would be assured of second place. Um, I feel like there's no real pressure on either team going into this. Um, I saw Connor Roberts 
the Wales right back being interviewed at some point today and he said he said the same thing you know there's no pressure on us we can sort of go out there and, and just sort of try and enjoy the occasion I think it's a good opportunity for Wales to measure themselves against uh, you know one of the one of the tournament favourites one of the most impressive teams that we've seen so far uh, I suspect that both managers will probably make a few changes to their starting lineups. I think uh, Roberto Mancini will, will probably look to give game time to some of the players who've not been involved so far. Marco Verratti could make his first start of the tournament and he's now under a bit of pressure because Manuel Locatelli has come in uh, in his place in, in the first two games. have been absolutely brilliant. Andrea Bellotti might come in as well, uh, give Chiro Mobile a rest. Uh, and then looking at the Wales team, you've got three players at the risk of suspension uh, if they're booked uh, Chris Meppham Ben Davis Kiefer Moore um, you've got players like Joe Allen uh, who looked a little bit leggy at times in that in that Turkey game so yeah I would have thought we'll see we'll see two quite uh, different starting 11s compared to uh, the two teams previous matches uh, and given that the lack of the lack of real jeopardy uh, it, you know it, it should be quite a, an open entertaining game i mean the, the one slight worry for wales is that if they were to lose by a few goals and if switzerland were to beat turkey uh, by a few goals in the other group game wales could lose second spot and end up finishing third which would give them a much more uncertain um, next opponent in the last 16 but yeah if they finish second they will play the Group B runners-up, which will probably be one of Russia, Finland or Denmark in Amsterdam. Um, and I think, given the way that Wales played against Turkey in their recent record, I think Wales would fancy their chances against, against each of those teams. Whoever wins the group plays uh, either Austria or Ukraine uh, at Wembley uh, in the last 16. Um, and, yeah, I guess the preference there will probably be for Austria. But, yeah. Uh, I, I don't think there's a huge amount of pressure on Wales and it should be um, should be quite an enjoyable match. And, and people talk, Lindsay, about games like this as if there's a slightly nefarious edge to them of saying, well, if they both get a draw, then they both go through. Well, that's the reward that you get for playing well and getting points in the first two games, isn't it? That, that's just a luxury that's afforded to you. It's not like, it's not like they found a cheat code to get through the group. Absolutely. They don't get thrown out of the competition for doing that, do they? And they, they don't all stand, you know, 10 behind the ball. Um, they do play a game of football and and anything can happen in those moments. If it came out as a draw, it wouldn't surprise me because of that. But you're right, they've earned the right to be able to to be in this position. I mean, both of those routes through are quite favourable. I don't think for a minute that Italy are thinking we want to finish runners-up because that's a lot easier. I, I, I wouldn't say that either route is, is better, to be honest. I think they're quite comparable. And that might make it more of an open-ended affair and more entertaining for us, which, which will be good to see. I'm interested um, to see whether Bale and Ramsey link up as well as they did in the last match. And if, I'm, I'm presuming, Tom, that they will both start. I would have thought so, yeah. I think they were so disappointing in that opening game against Switzerland and the difference in performance level from Wales collectively, but particularly from, from Ramsey and Bale between the first game and the second game was night and day. I mean, they were an absolute joy to behold and they haven't been able to play together all that regularly in recent years. I mean, even since Euro 2016, you can probably count on the fingers of one hand the number of competitive matches that Bale and Ramsey have played together. And I think I think Robert Page will be keen to preserve that dynamic between them if he can. Although, yeah, I would have thought he'll make a few changes as well. Well, Adam Kraft and our friend pointing out on Twitter that Italy looking to become the first nation ever to win a major football tournament and Eurovision in the same year. <laughs> we'll see if This that game could be all about Danny Ward as well, Tom. I'm so excited. You know, Italy have got this brilliant attack, uh, but if he is in action like he has been, he's shown he could be a contender, couldn't he, for, for goalkeeper of this tournament? Oh yeah, completely. And he's very much a symbol of this Wales team. I mean, if you go back to Euro 2016, almost every single player in the Wales team that reached the semi-finals was uh, at the very least the Premier League regular. Uh, you know, and Gareth Bale was, was banging the goals in for Real Madrid. You go through the team now, and not only are they not 
not even Premier League regulars. Some of them aren't even Championship regulars. It's a very different kind of dynamic. And, and no one sums that up better than Danny Ward, who I don't think he's played a league game for Leicester um, and, you know, has sort of come in, been given his opportunity by Rob Page, did really well in, in the, um, the friendly games uh, and was probably the difference between Wales losing the opener to Switzerland and, and managing to get a draw. Uh, performed heroics again against Turkey when called upon and uh, is probably in for another busy afternoon on uh, on Sunday, I'd have thought. I have a feeling he won't be going back to Leicester. Yeah, you think he'd be somebody's first choice next season. Uh, he'd be trying to keep mm. Italy to nil yeah. point, etc. And so on. Uh, also hey. on, <laughs> also on <laughs> Sunday... Switzerland and Turkey, I mean, wow, two of the tournament's biggest flops so far, I think it's fair to say. Swiss have at least got a point on the board, a bit more likely to qualify, I suppose. Uh, Lindsay, the fact that it's kind of must-win for both of these teams, hopefully we'll see a bit more from them than we have so far. Turkey in particular, you know, so so highly thought of coming into it, and they've been pretty rank so far. I've watched every game so far, but thankfully due to scheduling, I probably would have missed this one, but it's on exactly the same time as Italy-Wales and I'll be watching Italy-Wales. So I'll definitely follow the highlights for this game. Turkey, I I still feel that there is something there that could click a little bit. Um, Not to the extent that I think some of the people predicting them as dark horses would go down that route, but I don't think that they've hit their stride and I don't think they've hit any of their potential at all. They've looked really uncertain. And in Switzerland, maybe they have a team going up against them that they can potentially try and get things to, to move. I mean, the transition was awful, I thought, for Turkey in the last game, and that's something that they really need to work on. I mean, this could actually end up being the more entertaining game of the two because both teams, as Matt says, have to win to stand any chance of going through. Um, so they should both be be going out and playing with a handbrake off, whereas Italy and Wales, it's, um, you know, that they're both, well, Italy are already guaranteed to go through and Wales are effectively as well, so that there could be a bit more... Uh, a bit more caution in that in that Wales-Italy game, whereas Turkey and Switzerland are both going to have to really fly out the traps. We spent longer on that game than I thought that we would. Uh, Switzerland have won two of their 15 games at the Euros. They'll finish second. If they win, Wales lose, and there's a five-goal swing in their favour. All right, we're nearly done for today. Let's get some odds from Paddy Power, though. Head over to Producer Ben. Thank you, Matt. It's me. And Jason Murphy from Paddy Power on the line again. You're loving it, listeners, aren't you? Don't you dare fast forward this bit. Okay, Jason, let's look ahead to Sunday's games. Um, Let's start with Switzerland versus Turkey, the overall for this one before we get really exciting. Yeah, so Switzerland, four to six to win the game. And if they do, they get to four points and very possibly might get through. The big issue here is goal difference. Likewise for Turkey, if they're to have any chance, they'll have to win this and score a bagful. So really expecting an open game. And because of that context, over three and a half goals is 15 to eight in this match. The one player that's impressed from both sides is probably Mbolo. He's 15 to eight to score anytime. So same price, two angles. But if you're having a look at that game, those are potentials that you could have a look at. Okay, bet builder time then as we look to Wales and Italy. Um, I'm going to start and then maybe you can finish it off with something far more informed. Uh, I fancy Italy to win and over three and a half goals in this one. Give me the odds on that and then add add in a couple of your own. Yeah, so Italy to win, it's four to nine. And I think that's a, a strong price because Mancini can rotate without any drop in quality. Whereas Robert Page, based on what he said in the interview after the Turkey game, either Ramsey and Bell don't start this match or if they do, I don't think they play the 90 minutes. I think Wales with four points feel confident of getting through and want to be fresh for that last 16 game. So four to nine Italy to win. And then over three and a half goals is three to one in the match. Just because it's the last stage of the group. Italy have scored three goals in their games today. Wales offensively have looked good. So over three and a half goals, there's definitely potential for that to happen. The two legs I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you two goal scorer angles. So the obvious one I'm going to go with is Aaron Ramsey for Wales. Keep the Welsh fans happy. The runs into the box. I think they'll be picked up by Jorginho or Bernucci in the back line. But likewise, we could see Ramsey making those runs again. Whereas if you have a look at the Italian side, the angle I gave you is Bernucci to score anytime. It's about 12 to 1. Reason being, just that lack of height in the Welsh defence. I would be putting up Kalini, but he's unlikely to play now after picking up an injury. But listen, there's some big prices in that. If you put those four legs together, it comes to a little over 200 to 1. But with the Paddy Power bet builder, 
you can back all your own angles with it. Have a look yourself. And if one leg, a four leg or bigger on a bet builder lets you down, you'll get your money back as a free bet. T's and C's apply with that. But listen, I think this game against Wales and Italy, it's just get yourselves right for the next round. The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Place a four plus fold bet builder on any football match and get money back as a free bet if one leg lets you down. Check paddypower.com for more details. £10 max free bet. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. Listen, you can sign up for a subscription with The Athletic for unrivaled coverage of Euro 2020 in 2021. All the articles, all the podcasts, ad-free and Q&As with writers too. It's only a pound a month for the first six months. So head to theathletic.com slash totally. Before we go, on this day in Euros history, the 20th of June, it's the Daily Czech Republic section. A happy 45th birthday to the Panenka was on this day in 1976 that Antonin chipped his penalty over West Germany keeper Setmeyer to give the Czechs a shootout victory in the European Championship final. Panenka. Goal! Goal! The main it begs the question, which player at Euro 2020 is most likely to get their own signature move as a result of their efforts in this tournament? Tom, this seems very much in your wheelhouse. <laughs> um, I mean, it would have to be a creative player, you'd think. And the, the player who came to mind uh, for me was Phil Foden. And there is actually a move he does that I don't think I've ever seen any other footballer do. And he's done it at least two or three times, to my knowledge. And it's when he is on the right-hand touchline with a defender standing sort of like just inside him and an aerial ball comes towards him, he will control the ball with a Cruyff turn that flicks the ball down the touchline in the same movement. And the ball goes as straight as an arrow. And I've seen him do it two or three times. And I just, I every time he does it, it, it blows me away. It shouldn't be possible. I mean, you've seen players control the ball and kind of drag it behind their standing foot but not sort of like pelt it 20 yards away and leave the defender sort of flailing in their wake. And I wonder if he does that in a key moment, you know, and ends up producing the goal that, that takes England through to the quarterfinals, the semifinals or something, maybe that could be something that ends up carrying his name for all eternity. Yeah, the Foden flick, it's got a nice ring to it. I'm going to rhyme with that as well, because haven't we already had it? The Foden flick to Schick. Because I, I honestly think we'll call it the shick from now on. Yes, we've seen goals scored like that from long range, catching the keeper off their line. But have we seen as much swerve and curl on the ball as he managed to get on it? So I think we might already have it in the can. But if not, um, I was watching Portugal earlier and I thought, you know, Renato Sanchez... We, we've had tournaments before where players have emerged and we th- there's World Cups that spring to mind where Roberto Carlos, for his power, um, became famous around the world. And I think there is a free kick in him from, from the way he blasted the post. There's a net buster in there somewhere and we'll be talking about Renato Sanchez for that reason, I think, before the tournament is out. Yeah, I think Schick's probably a, a good one, um, Lindsay shicking it or to shick yourself to score from from halfway I suppose <laughs> you could call it um maybe the bail blasting a penalty out of the earth's orbit that'd be a good one well so surely if anyone shicked themselves it was David Marshall <laughs> uh could also have the cane just for an utterly anonymous performance ouch it's all right Harry he'll come good he'll come good before the end of the tournament I'm sure Uh, So will we, hopefully, not least when Jimbo returns. Uh, Tomorrow, I'll be back, though. Uh, Do join us for that as we round up Group A. Until then, many thanks to Lindsay, to Tom, to Alvaro, and to David as well, and to producer Charlie for cobbling it all together, mainly to you, though, listener. We'll catch you again same time tomorrow. Until then, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Keep up to date with everything Totally at The Totally Show on Twitter and find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.